0: Welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. And you can find my movie reviews and interviews in print and online, and yes, even on YouTube, 24-7, around the globe, in the U.S. and abroad. But every Monday, I am right here, live, on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And we go behind the lens and below the line. And... Also, the pride and joy of our station owner, Nick Federoff. Yes, we even stream on Facebook Live. So (laughs) you can jump on AdrenalineRadio.com page on Facebook and watch us streaming live. You can listen to us live on AdrenalineRadio.com. And the show becomes a podcast after the live radio broadcast. So then you can find find a rebroadcast of the show on BehindTheLensOnline.net iTunes, Stitcher, Indie Popcorn, FM, we're all over the place. But, welcome, welcome on this beautiful Easter Monday. Uh, for a lot of people, it's still spring break. I forget what that was like. It's been so long since I've had a spring break. Um, so I hope everybody is enjoying it, no matter what you're doing. Today's show is really, it's like a breath of fresh air. You know, last week we didn't get to our exclusive clip of Abel de Staunton talking about her new film, Finding Your Feet. We're going to hear that today. Um, Also, I did a little juggling with clips, and we're going to hear our exclusive interview with Madeline Carroll. Madeline is an absolute delight. I have known Madeline for about, what, 12 years now or some, 12, 13 years. Uh, Her new film, I Can Only Imagine, is out. It is doing gangbusters. It's a box office, an incredible story. A few weeks ago, you heard my exclusive interview with Dennis Quaid. Um, today, you're going to get to hear my interview with Madeline. And at the halfway point of the show, I'm so excited to have this this gentleman on. Pat Mills, writer-director of the new film Don't Talk to Irene, starring Gina Davis and Michelle McLeod in a new talent Um, Pat Mills, many of you may remember him from being on Nickelodeon years ago. He transitioned from child actor into writer-director. And Don't Talk to Irene is a film I stumbled upon uh, about a month or so ago, just flipping channels at 5 o'clock, flipping the VOD channels at 5 o'clock in the morning, one Saturday morning, and saw Don't Talk to Irene. I saw Gina Davis's name. It's like, all right, let's give it a shot. It is delightful. It is charming. It is enchanting. It is so much fun. Um, it's not rocket science. It's just pure enjoyable. Put a smile on your face. Film. Uh, so I'm very thrilled that we're going to have Pat here uh, talking with us live at the midway point of the show. But right now, let's let's we're going to do we're going to do what? Amelda first? Yes, Pam. So Amelda Amelda uh, Staunton. So many of you know her from her decades of work, Vera Drake, Nanny McPhee, one of the fairies in Maleficent, Pride, an outstanding film based on true events. She's one of the voices in Paddington. And of of course, Dolores Umbridge in Harry Potter. Uh, But now... This is a totally different role for Amelda in Finding Your Feet. Directed by Richard Crane, Written by Meg Leonard and Nick Moorcroft. Uh, this is her moment. This is her film. And she is surrounded with some of Britain's best. Timothy Spall. Celia Emery. David Heyman. Joanna Lumley. It is just a joy. It is a. Mul- it has multi-generational appeal. It is a feel-good film. And yes... You're going to be dancing on air with Amelda and her character of Sandra by film's end. And it's all about a woman in the later part of her life, part of part of us ARP crowd, that uh, finds out some unsavory things about her husband and realizes life isn't all about titles and money. And sometimes you do have to just find your own feet. So here's my interview with Imelda Staunton. Hi, Amelda. Hello, Debbie. Hello there. I am so thrilled to be speaking with you this morning. Thank you for taking the time. Oh,
1: not at all. Thank you, I think. Au contraire.
0: I mean, I, I spoke with Richard last week, and I, I will tell you the same thing I told him. I was dancing on air watching this film. You are magnificent. Oh, thank you. This, uh, this is one of the most fun roles that I have seen you in, and to see your character arc. This is not a Dolores Umbridge, who is she's just mean. Um, here we have Sandra, who is stowed and 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 stoic, stayed and stoic, and we slowly see you open up and you get looser, both in costume, both both in mannerism. It is a joy. Watching you, as Sandra. Oh well, thank you very much. Well, listen, it's
1: always nice to play a character who has a journey to make, and um, and you know she certainly has uh, a few journeys to make, and um, and also in something that, as you said, you know this is a lightweight piece, but I think because it's got some unpredictable moments without giving too much away, I think it makes it a much meatier piece than. Than people think
0: it's going to be it really is there's a lot of themes going on here we're talking about about aging about a woman who is suddenly is on her own um, mm-hmm. it's very timely and topical um, yeah. and yeah. I, I love that about it but it's also in finding your own way it's also about family and reconnecting but mm. love and romance at any age Absolutely. But also I like that actually,
1: you know, when, when I do go to stay with my sister, you know, and I haven't seen her for a very long time, that it, you know, we don't immediately click and it takes a long time in the film for them mm-hmm. to come together. And I and I like that too, because that wasn't too much of a cliche, that, oh, we're back together, I can't believe it, it's so lovely. And that happens a long way into the film.
0: Yeah, um, I was, that's probably about halfway in.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that makes it more sort of relatable, really, and probably a bit more, you know, real in well, in this story. Um, but, uh, but also that you know the film is not about being older. Mm-mm. It's you know we're not there talking about our bad backs or our dodgy shoulders. It's about you know problems that we might have in our in our life and our you know broken marriages or broken hearts or whatever, and how we deal
0: with it. Very very much so. I'm I'm curious, what did you think when you first got this script, your first reaction when you read this? This had to be like a breath of fresh air for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a a page turner and that's always healthy. That's nice. But then it surprised me. Uh, because, you know, because you and I have both seen it, we know things happen that you don't expect it's gonna happen. Uh, so that, that did it for me. because uh, I like a little bit of, you know, I like something that isn't straightforward. Um, so that was refreshing, I found. And, um, and, you know, that film that c- combined with it's filming in London. I can be at home. Oh my goodness me! And uh, going to be working with mates. Uh, so it
0: was um, a bit of a win-win. Well, and, and talk about working with mates—you get to work with another Harry Potter veteran. You get to wa- work with Timothy Spall.
1: Yeah, uh, well, we've known each other since uh, the, we were at drama school at the same time. So uh, we've known each other a long time, um, and that made it so much easier. Uh, well, not much easier, because it's always nice working with most actors, but, um, you know, we, we know each other, and uh, we trust each other, and I have huge respect for Tim's work and, uh, and the way he works. So that was, that was just heavenly.
0: Yeah, and knowing that the two of you have known each other forever and are friends, I'm curious, because there is a very... Sandra has a very standoffish nature with Charlie... Yeah. So, yeah. how, it's one thing when you talk about getting to know a new actor and you know, how do you establish the chemistry if you're supposed to be madly in love. But here, how do you undo your initial chemistry? Yeah, but again, that's part of why
1: I liked it so much that there wasn't that as soon as they met each other, you go, oh, hello.
2: It wasn't that, and that's you know that's acting, and you go great. This is great. We're not playing the cliché.
1: Keep looking at each other across a crowd of room um, because not that's not the people they are. And of course, that was so liberating to be able to to do those sort of scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of they're much they're much richer. I think
0: I find. And of course, then you got to dance.
1: Yes. Absolutely, and that was lovely to do. Um, you know, we had a lot of rehearsals, and because Tim, I think Tim was in New Zealand or something filming, so we had to, they had to Skype his lessons over to him. So um, we had to try and regroup when he got here. So he and I were doing, uh, me going, come on, Tim, let's try and do we'll try and do this bit now and rehearse it, you know? So um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was great fun to do.
0: Well, you look lovely dancing. So I have to wonder, will we see you on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> oh, but uh, you just, you looked like you were having so much fun in the dance sequences.
1: Yes. It's, well, it's such, a, it's such a liberating thing to do, isn't it? And that's again with the film. You know, it, 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 you know dancing lifts your spirit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your spirits are low and, and and there's no doubt I mean that's why people people are going to all those dance classes now and hopefully this film might even make that happen more for people because it you know, you're not you're not you're not speaking, you not have to saying how you feel, you're not having to sing, or, but just by moving and moving to music and a group of you moving to mm-hmm. music, whether it's literally, you know, like how line dancing was so popular because literally it was walking four steps, the right, four to the left. But the thing that you're doing it together,
2: mm-hmm. because,
1: of course, as people get older, it can happen that they become isolated. So anything that can keep people together
0: has got to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as part of the dancing, you're also dancing... With Celia Emery and the two of you, I have to say, watching the relationship between Sandra and Biff, you two leap off the screen. The the deeper we go, the closer the two of you reconnect and become. So that when we see you jumping in in the pond, I mean, my heart was jumping with you. <laughs> yes,
1: it was bloody cold that day. I'm telling you that. <laughs> You mean you didn't? Very- Richard
2: didn't give you a heated tank?
1: He, actually, he did. We, we, they would looked after us so well. We had these wonderful hot tubs that they wouldn't they we they wouldn't let us out of the hot tubs, and they, they kept taking our temperature. And until when our temperature got up to a certain thing, then we could go back in the pond. So they really looked after us well. Um, but it was oh, I loved it because I used to go in those ponds in the summer. I've never been in there in November, which is when
0: <laughs> like we went in. Uh, but that was gorgeous. I loved doing that. Oh, my. What what was it like working with Celia and developing this great relationship? Well,
1: again, Celia and I first worked together in 1978. Mm Mm-hmm. So... That so we've known each other a very very long time, so uh, not that difficult really. Um, very easy to do, and but again, as you said, you know, we had to then undo that and, and you know not not get on. But of course, you know, if you know each other well, you know how to do it, mm-hmm. um, and um, and it was it was easy. That's all I can say. It was just it was just easy to do.
0: Yeah, and so often costume, as you know from working in films like Maleficent, Nanny McPhee, you know, Harry Potter. Costume is so important to the character. And here, while you're wearing everyday clothes, to watch the character, the nature of Sandra change with her wardrobe is, it adds so much when watching. Is that a conscious thing for you as the clothes are getting looser, freer, more color is being added? The hair changes.
1: Mm. Oh, totally! And I have to say, our wonderful costume designer, Jill Taylor. Uh, you know, we spent hours and hours you know, breaking it down, and she, you know, she had her arc, and we discussed that whole change in her character. And poor Gooch, hair and makeup, who also did Maleficent, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we broke that down, and we, we all combined our efforts in that. But, I mean, I think Jill with the costume has done a tremendous job in that area. And it's vital. Of course it's vital. Because, you know, you have to change. And, and and yet, you know, she wasn't going out buying a lot of clothes. She didn't have a lot of money. and yet she But she softened. The clothes
0: were hard, and then they softened. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much. And it was just, it was so wonderful to watch your character go from, the all set extra hairspray on the hair, the hair helmet, and <laughs> and and, and, uh, and soften down and get curls and yeah. the looser trench coat, raincoat. I mean, just a, and yeah. then of course in Italy, uh, in Italy. I know. Oh, you well, got to. I think, to, um, I think th- she sort of. I mean, in her life and in her marriage, she
1: sort of obviously had had created this shell around her body. Mm hmm. Absolute shell, and um, and thinking that the title and the tennis club and everything—that's what it should be. Like. You've got to look like this. You've got to be like that without actually. And she, and, and she says she lost herself years and years and years ago. You know, and, and and also saying that thing about you know how many women have lived vicariously through their husbands instead of having their own lives.
0: Mm-hmm. But I, I, but I must say, in Italy, when you come out on the balcony, you know, in that beautiful dress, hair all done, makeup perfectly. You look so elegant, so stunning, and it was like, that is what every woman watching the film, when they find themselves, when they find their feet, that's how they want to walk out.
2: no,
1: oh, oh, goody. Oh, that's nice. Well, well, job done then. I mean, that's, that's what you want that moment to be, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: How, how was the experience of filming in Italy?
1: Oh, well, and listen, it was gorgeous, but we only had three days, so we were working flat out and way into the night, and, uh, you know, so it was, um, but it was such a treat just to even get a glimpse of Rome in December, and the sun shone for us, Um uh, I, I think I had about two hours off one morning. I thought, oh, my God, I'm walking around Rome. This is just, my God, it's fantastic. <laughs> So um uh, yeah, that was a,
0: that was a bonus I have to say. This, I mean those scenes were just absolutely beautiful. Richard did an amazing job shooting the scenes yeah. in, in Italy. Yeah. but, you
1: but he know, did on, you know we had we had no money.
2: You know, <laughs> he made
0: everything look great. How is that for you as an actress? You go from a film that has essentially an unlimited budget, like a maleficent like a Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but then you go and you do a film like Pride or like finding your feet. Do you like yeah. changing it up like that from Yeah, it's it's course
1: I do. It's much more fun doing low budget films. Much more what makes... You've got to use your imagination, you've got to think quick, you've got to write, no, all change, all change, you can't do that, we've got to do this now, let's do this. It just keeps you alive. And, um, you, you know, you can, I think, probably have too much money uh, on films, um, but uh, these, you know, pride and fire, you see, it, just, it was just heaven doing those films.
0: You know, what is it that you look for now when a script comes your way? What do you look for in a script?
1: well, I try and look for something that hopefully I haven't done before. Um, I say, oh, I've never done that. Oh, you know, and I haven't done a film like Finding Your Feet. I thought, well, no one's going to cast me as that. Oh, they just have. How nice. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I try and look for something that I think, well, I haven't done anything like that. That would be interesting. So that that's what I look for, something different.
0: Well, the big question, I have to, I have to know when... Sandra is leaping to the boat. Did Sandra make it to the boat, or did she land in the water? I'm not going to mention
1: anything about that at all, because I is a bit of a spoiler. I'm not going to even, I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to wait. Who knows? Who knows?
0: And who knows, indeed, finding your feet. It is a must-see. It is a must-see film, be it a, we're at a tentpole, be it an indie. It's a fabulous film, and I can't encourage all of you enough. You will definitely walk away with a smile on your face and probably a song in your heart. Absolutely wonderful film. And now, let's move into the youthful segment of our show. And I know she's listening and she's playing on Twitter right now, so hello, Maddie. Um, you know, I adore you. Madeline Carroll. I can only imagine she has an incredible part. This is the first time she has played a real life person, not only a real life person, but a person that who is very much alive today. This is a story that I think is custom made for Maddie. She is a young woman with great faith. It is the cornerstone of her life, of her career choices, Uh, a career that is taking on new trajectories. She's even producing now as we speak. Uh, I am so thrilled to see where she has come and how she has grown over these years. And she's got a really cool dad, too. I want everyone to know that. You know, when you have young actors coming up, really good parents play a really big part in how they turn out as they start maturing and getting into adulthood. And I had the pleasure of meeting her dad. Uh, last month. So, hi, Dad. Uh, But hear hear from Maddie for yourselves, her journey in the making of I Can Only Imagine, not to mention some words of advice that Cloris Leachman gave her. I still remember the first time we ever talked, swing vote. Oh, my gosh. Swing vote. Wow. That's crazy. And then... I did the red carpet for Cafe with you and Jennifer Love. Oh, and then you've just been and Mr. Popper's Penguins.
3: I know that was our last time. That was the
0: last time was for was for Penguins. And of course, what what is this? You know, you work with Kevin Costner. You work with Angela Lansbury. You work with Dennis Quaid. You work with Jim Carrey. Now you work with Cloris
3: Leachman. I know. You know what? She was cool. (laughs)
0: <laughs> she was. Of course is beyond cool. She was
3: beyond <laughs> cool. I actually, I just sat there and like pick, wanted to pick her brain all day long. She is so feisty. You have no idea. She, They did her hair and makeup on uh, set and she would have them come to her trailer. Of course. And she, of course. And she um, was so cute. And she, she was like very, it's so funny. She's just that old, she still has that old Hollywood like. Glam about her And she would like Rip the comb off there And make up And all do it And we would like Comb her hair the way That she wanted it to be And everyone just loved it Like everyone ate it up She's so cute She was funny I loved working with her Um, I asked her about How she felt When she she got her Oscar And um, she was like I couldn't believe it Because I thought I was going to lose Because the other actress That was in the category With her I forget what her name was Had won all the awards Leading up that season, and she said, "I, I, they called my name, and I thought they called the wrong name. I couldn't believe it, and it was so cute. It was just so fun to pick her brain and be around her. She's just a doll, a doll." What's the best
0: advice that she gave you for your career?
3: Well, in that conversation when she was talking about um, her Oscar when she was like, "You know, don't ever uh, set your standard for yourself below, you know, what others have for you." And that was a really powerful lesson because Mm -hmm. I always do that. You know what I mean? I'm always here. Um, And so she said, don't ever set your standard down there for yourself because I couldn't believe it. She said, I I had thought, you know, that I wasn't as good. Um, And then she ended up winning the Oscar. Mm -hmm. And so she proved everybody wrong. Um, She was just so fun, so cute, and so, so so sassy. At such an old age, she's so cute. I um, wish he was
0: here. I like that word. Sassy is a good word for Chloris. Yeah,
3: yeah. She's very sassy. That's, that,
0: that's a good word for Chloris. <laughs> well, I have to say, your trajectory, the past few films you've done, and you've really found a niche for yourself and what you have upcoming as well. Thank you. With the faith-based, with the positivity. Really fabulous stuff. And Thank you. while Shannon is a small role, a smaller role in this film, in terms of screen time, she is so important in this story. Thank you. What did you think when you first <coughs> read this script?
3: When did you know the Bart story? mm No, when, when I first read the script, I was uh, honestly floored at what it was about. Because I thought, for some reason, when I heard the title, I can only imagine, I just, I thought of the song, obviously, but I just... I thought that it was going to be um, a movie along the lines of the song. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that it was going to be such a, um, a leading up to um, thing. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how much heartbreak, you know, he had went through. Because um, I grew up listening to Mercy Me. I only knew him as, you know, this positive, joyful Christian guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't believe that he had, you know, been abused physically and mentally. And um, was astounded by it, and um, to be honest with you, in reading the script, the character that uh, stuck out to me the most was his uh, his music teacher, Priscilla Shire's character, and then she brings it to life and is just unbelievable um, in the way she does it, but she really stuck out to me, because it's those people you know, when we don't know what our calling is and we don't know what we're meant mm-hmm. to do, it's people like her and like Shannon in their life kind of championing them to go forward. I had that in my life, you know what I mean? I, I had... This one female uh, motivational speaker that I loved to listen to named Cheryl Salem. And she, just for me, was my uh, teacher, you know, mm-hmm. my, my music teacher, my Shannon. And um, we all need that in our life. And, and Bart was very fortunate to have that mm-hmm. um, because he was not receiving that at home. Yeah. And um, just finding his purpose, and, uh, and it really is a, a group effort, you know what I mean? When mm-hmm. you are called to something, it's something you can't do on your own. Um, And so it really stuck out to me uh, just uh, how caring the people were around him. Like, God wasn't letting him miss it for himself. God wasn't going to let him miss it for himself. And even when he gave up, you know, the song and said, you know, to Amy Grant, okay, here, you take it and you do with it because you can do more with it. God was like, no. No. And he spoke to her heart and she gave it back to him. But I always think to myself what it would have been like hadn't she have been responsive to that, you know? It would have been totally, totally oh, different. And God knows if it wouldn't different. have went, you know. I don't think it would have. I don't think it would have Because
0: either. you can hear the passion and the joy when Bart sings it. Mm-hmm. That comes through loud and clear. Whenever you have somebody that writes their, in- that's any artist. Yeah. Who writes their own song and tells their own story. You know, just like an actor who might write the script for yeah. themselves or a one-woman show or a one-man show. Nobody else can give that. Yeah. Because it's them Mm -hmm. in the purest sense coming out. But, oh, I mean, I I love the trajectory where that went. Yeah. You know, in in the grand scheme of the the plan, I think that was fabulous. Yes. Now, did you get a chance to talk to Bart or Shannon to prepare for the role, or did you not want to, or...
3: I I uh, actually didn't, but I, to be honest, me, myself, I honestly didn't know, what, like, what to do, I was like, do I, should I call, should I not call, and so I had planned on actually calling, um, and Andy, the director, was like, no, I want you to just be yourself, because they cast, uh, Andy and John cast people based on essence, and not on, like, their ability to mm-hmm. do it, because they, I mean, they'll tell you, they've... They saw so many people, especially even for Shannon. Like they saw so many yeah. people, but they just uh, were really being led by God mm-hmm. and led by the essence of the character. And the girl that plays uh, Amy Grant's character, my goodness, wasn't she spot on? I, I did a double take. I thought it was. I was, Amy know Grant they actually said that some people thought that they digitally uh, made her younger. Isn't I, that I, crazy?
0: I I had to do a double take watching it. it was like,
3: I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. So they really just, they cast on on Essence, and and uh, they told me, not don't do anything because we want you to just be you, and they said that uh, apparently Shannon and I are very similar in real life. I won't know. I'm actually going to meet her tomorrow <gasps> for the first time. So I'm very nervous to see what she thinks, but um, Andy did send me, like, a bunch of memos and stuff of, uh, like, recordings that they had um, uh, did with her, like, interviews mm-hmm. and stuff to kind of listen to her and see how she kind of talked and stuff like that. So uh, I did have that, and I did listen to that. But um, I didn't meet Bart until we were actually uh, midway through filming, and it was the scene where Dennis and I and John Michael are at the hospital. And... They just randomly showed up at lunch, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was, like, freaking out, and I was so embarrassed because they were watching the monitor. I was like, I hope I'm doing her justice. (laughs) So we'll see. I've heard that she's happy with it, very happy with it. So
0: Now, this is the first time you've played not just a real person but a real living person. Yes. What does that do to your mindset with a role? Does that put more of an onus on you, a sense of responsibility, To get this right,
3: yes, one hundred percent, it does uh, make you much more aware of what you're doing and um, the way that you're holding yourself and stuff like that, for sure. Um, Because it's not about you Mm -hmm. anymore, you know. It's not about you at all, and it's never, you know, in acting you're servicing a story. Um, But with that, you're really like they tell you, like, oh, just bring what you think is best for the character to it, and like all this stuff. And, and, I mean, you can't do that with a real-life person. You know what I mean? You have to kind of um, inhabit their spirit and everything. So, I just, I was like, God, let me do a good job and just went for it. And, um, and really relied heavily on Andy and John because mm-hmm. they had spent time with them mm-hmm. uh, to tell me, you know, do this or do that or mm-hmm. the other. You did very really Thank well. you. Thank you so you know, much. how are,
0: how have you been, this experience, because you started out, you know, doing films you start, then start doing all these TV one-offs for a while. You've thrown in some voiceover work. Yeah. You know, now you're back with, with, primarily with films again. Are you developing a sense of where, where you really want to go with your career, if you want to concentrate on film, if you want to keep going back and forth, mm. or move into perhaps episodic television or something? Yeah. Um, well, right now I just
3: feel uh, very... Um, very alert like okay god what do you want next for me because obviously with this it literally was god letting me know like no you're on the right path so keep going so i'm really trying to pay attention and listen to what the lord wants but to be honest i feel like god's kind of uh really working on me with film right now and also with the other side of things i actually just produced um my first pilot uh, not for myself um it was really fun though it's called beautifully flawed Sherry Rigby directed it, um, and a beautiful, a beautiful female director, powerful voice, um, and it's based on her true story, and the book Beautifully Flawed. So we're just editing that now, and i going to be, uh, you know, hoping that it finds a home. Um, and so that would be, my year would be television. Um, and then for, like, acting, that was my first love. I and I want to keep acting, and uh, just keep... Um, relying on God to open up doors of opportunity. Um, I don't know what's next. I don't know if God's going to keep me in the faith-based genre or keep me in mainstream because um, obviously that's what I did first. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's next, but I'm excited to see. I have two films coming out called Indivisible and mm-hmm. God Bless the Broken Road. Um, I'm excited about those, but I'm just um, excited to see what he has in store this year. I mean, I've just been kind of living at his mercy the past you know, few months. Can't believe... You know, the things that he's had me do and brought me to, and it's just been unbelievable, so... I can't believe that you're
0: producing now. I know. So how is this... You're in editing, so how is this now as a producer? Are you in the editing bay? Are you seeing how things are working, are you...
3: Yeah, well, so we just finished uh, filming it... Two, like two three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just going to start into the editing pool now. So I, that'll be strange. That'll be weird. Uh, I wonder if it'll affect me any differently as an actress. That's, a, that's you what know, I'm curious. I'm I like, will
0: have to check back with you yeah. right,
3: on the next films Yeah. Now,
0: Because I'm curious if now you will start approaching performance differently.
3: Differently. I think probably. I mean, honestly, I don't know if I can even be... I, I'm, I don't know. It's going to be weird. It'll just give you
0: and that was the fabulous Madeline Carroll. There's a little bit more to her interview, but I'm going to pop the whole audio for the full interview up on behindthelensonline.net. Uh, just took off a couple minutes here so that we can get to our live guest who has been patiently holding for us. But in the meantime, it is still the Easter season for the Orthodox Christians. This is still uh, Easter week. You know, I, I Can't Imagine is, an, um, I Can Only Imagine is an amazing film. It is uplifting. Bart Millard's story of writing the song. Uh, Bart Millard is lead singer for Mercy, front man for Mercy Me. Uh, a, a, just a perfect film for this time of year. You will feel good when you see it. And I think we need so much more of that. And another film you're going to feel really good about seeing is called Don't Talk to Irene. And this incredible director, writer-director, Pat Mills. Welcome to Behind the Lens, Pat.
4: Hi, how are you?
0: Well, I am so happy to have you on here. I am in love with your film.
4: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's great to hear.
0: (laughs) I I was just... Very early, 5 a.m. or something on a Saturday morning, I'm flipping through VOD on Spectrum to see what new titles they had on there. Something that I may not have seen through a screener or or a press screening. And I saw, hmm, don't talk to Irene, Gina Davis. And I went, all right, I'm in. I can't tell you how enjoyable I found this film. And your your star, Michelle McLeod. This 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 girl she's here to stay. She's not a flash in the pan. I just Yeah, true. But the film on the whole you deal with so many issues. You deal with bullying, you deal with uh teen overweight issues, pressure, parental pressure, striving to be somebody that you're not. Um and then also the issue of discarded seniors uh who just get pawned off, passed off and put into homes. Uh, and you you find this great meld, and you bring all these people together for a right. wonderful, positive, uplifting, and downright laugh-out-loud funny film. Where, where did this story come from, Pat? Um, I know your last film, um, Guidance, it, that kind of, you know, it was a dark comedy kind of a parody, I think, almost of your experiences of being a child TV actor and then growing up. Um, But I'm curious where the genesis of don't talk to Irene came from. And of course the whole idea of having Gina Davis as a spirit guide.
2: Right. Well,
4: I think the, um, the movie kind of came out of a lot of different experiences that I had. Um, I was a total outcast in high school uh, and I didn't have a lot of friends like Irene. So I think from an emotional space, um, it came from there, as well as I, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in retirement homes. And I would go off, because um, my grandparents would be staying there, and I would go off on my own and meet these random, strange, interesting seniors. And I always felt like, okay, I want to tell these people stories. Um and so it just kind of came up, the entire film kind of came together, putting all of the things that I love together into a film. So I love old people, I love dancing, I love awkward teenagers, uh, and from just from an emotional space of where I, where I felt like an outcast and I needed somebody to, you know, guide me or push me through high school is sort of where I came up with uh, the whole idea. And I spent a lot of time developing the script, probably like, Seven to eight years, or, or so. So wow. it went through a different versions, but the ultimate story that I think I wanted to tell was a really uplifting story about a teen girl who's fat, who sh- should be con- pushed forward to not change and accept herself and be awesome the way that she already is. So that's pretty much where uh, what I really wanted to do with the story. And, and in terms of Gina Davis, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I've always been a huge fan, and I think that for me personally, like I grew up watching Gina Davis movies, and I consider the era that she uh, won the Oscars in and was nominated for Thelma Louise, that era is like the golden age for me, because um, it's like the Hollywood films were still really well made. Um, you could make a drama and people would go see it. Um, and she always kind of embodied everything. She was comedic. She was dramatic. She could be an action star. I think that she could do everything. Um, and I, she has her uh, Gender and Media Institute, and I really felt like, well, she'd be the perfect person to guide um, an awkward person through high school because she was awkward in her body because she was so tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I kind of liked the idea of, like, Gina Davis guiding somebody who um, is fat through high school because she learned to, you know, grow into herself and be okay with herself. And I wanted her to guide um, Irene into just accepting herself and going after what she wants.
0: And I love the fact that you incorporate so much of, of who Gina really is, such as her archery. I mean, you know, Olympic caliber archery. And yep. and we see that brought in. I mean, all these elements of Gina's own life you incorporate. Yeah, what I did
4: was I used a lot of her dialogue based on her interviews. So I would I read a lot of Gina Davis interviews that she had done throughout the years, and I kind of understood the, the way that she spoke, and that's how I was able to write her dialogue, which is sort of daunting. You know, you're writing dialogue for somebody in their own voice. Uh, and she is like a movie star so i really wanted to capture her voice so i just w- read and watched a lot of interviews that she had done and i think that there's a line saying that uh, it took her a long time to grow into herself or and i took that complete like word for word from an interview
0: uh i mean it's i mean i thought that was fabulous i really love that aspect that you didn't have Gina Davis playing a character, but Gina Davis playing herself because that added so mm-hmm. much more weight to the journey, to Irene's journey. Right. Yeah, you know, I really, incredibly well done in that respect. But now, what you all now were you always going to direct this? I was, yes. So now, since you were working on the script for seven or eight, seven to eight years, I had to give you a lot of time to come up with your visual palette. And your visual tonal bandwidth as well. So it would mirror your emotional bandwidth of the story you were telling. So I'm really curious how you ended up. Paul Sorosi, cinematographer. I mean, I'm a huge admirer of his work. His darker work, Chloe, for example, Mm -hmm. or The Wicker Man, Devil's Knot, The Borgias. But here, even Paul goes against type for what we know him for. And your palette, your visuals, they're light, they're breezy, not only in tone, but in look. So I'm really curious how the two of you, you know, came up with this design.
4: Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question, because it is completely different than what he normally does. Um, what he normally does is really dark. He works with Adam McGoin a lot. He works mm-hmm. with, like, auteur, artistic Canadian filmmakers. And what I always wanted to do with Irene is I wanted it a bit breezy. I wanted it a bit lighter. I didn't want it to look necessarily dark and Canadian, the way that so many Canadian films are so serious. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be colorful. Uh, but I also wanted to have, like, a good visual style. And Paul Cirossi, because he's worked on Oscar-nominated films, and he's, he's one of the best Canadian cinematographers, and he really responded to the script, which, surp- which surprised <laughs> me, because I wasn't... I didn't think that somebody like him would ever do something a bit lighter like this, um, and so we really talked about tone a lot. Um, I would show him um, frames from films like Election. Like I really, I thought Alexander Payne has a really good uh, palette. For he does dark comedies, and they're grounded. They look very grounded and real, mm-hmm. but they're not plastic. But right. they still have cinema, like they're uh, very cinematic. Um, and they're still, they have, they pop visually, but they still seem like they're really based in reality rather mm-hmm. than something that's really uh, plastic looking. So I really wanted to balance um, it to look real, but still have some sort of style, like a heightened level of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really t- talked about certain movies together and, Really planned out every shot um, before we we filmed the movie, and because I really knew that that was important. My last film guidance was very, uh, it looks good for what it was because it was, I wanted it to be grounded. It was like punk rock in style, it was very handheld, but I wanted this one to be a bit more uh, cinematographic.
0: Yeah, and you definitely succeed. And I love the way, so often when we see, you know, when retirement homes. Uh, are pictured very often. They're like darker, they're dingier. Your production design, you re- you spent time with that because you surround your senior citizens in actually very nice surroundings, brightly lit surroundings, but still there is that depression underlying that uh, because they are mm-hmm. left alone and dismissed, and you know not given any sort of countenance for their value. Uh, to the world right but i really I like the fact that you did that that you gave you you picked a location that had lots of windows that had natural sunlight, but then the actual production design itself you you stepped it up so that it really you made it look as homey as you possibly could
4: uh, yeah, I really wanted to play with like everything 's new and very nice, but it kind of lacks personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the characters in the film would make up for that because I feel like when you go to a retirement home right now, it's like, everything's very nice and everything's set up very well. At least the ones that I looked for, they have flat screen TVs, Mm -hmm. but they kind of feel like you're in a hotel, like a hotel lobby, like Mm -hmm. you're at the Ramada or something. Um, so I really wanted it to look like this place that you would want to stay at, but not really necessarily want to live.
0: Right, and then they're <laughs> stuck living, and luckily they just happen to be next door to a high school. Uh, that's true. So, true. You know, so you could get them outside, and uh, that, that, that's where your story really takes off, is when Irene has to do her community service, and she bonds with the seniors um, at, the, at the senior home. And I've, this brings up a whole other level with your casting, going beyond Michelle McLeod, going beyond Gina... You bring in these veterans like Bruce Gray, who I okay. have loved for decades, an incredible character actor. Um, also, Joan Gregson is an absolute joy. You know, how okay. did you go about casting? Because you really needed to have an eclectic mix for both your youth orient- your youth scenes in the high school and, of course, then your seniors. That's a tough, that's a tough meld to uh, to effectuate.
4: That's true. Well, we had a really great casting director, Sarah Kay, who was able to bring in people who work a lot. They do a lot of theater, um, but it, they're the types of actors that you see in everything, but you don't know who they are.
2: Mm-hmm. So they are
4: amazing Canadian character actors that came in, and we auditioned a lot of people. And... Some of them would go sketch comedy with the material, and I always was, I was drawn towards the people who had a lot of theater experience and made it more dramatic and real.
2: Mm-hmm. Even
4: though some of the dialogue doesn't necessarily uh, play as um, drama, but they played it like that,
2: mm-hmm. and
4: it worked. And they were, everybody was really great to work with, and I think it translates on Screen because everybody was having a good time. Everybody had great chemistry with one another. Uh, even the seniors and the and the kids
2: mm-hmm.
4: who are in the same space together were having an amazing time together and learning from one another as actors. So that was really interesting, just to to be able to see that. Um, so everybody had a really great time, and it was an easy shoot in that sense because everyone was just so lovely to work with, and we had great weather. You mentioned the sun coming through the windows. Yeah. We were very lucky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, and, and I'm glad you mentioned how well, and th- it does convey how how well your cast got along. It really does come through on screen. And never more so than in your climactic dance number. And I've got to say, who choreographed that, Pat? And, I mean, you you do have seniors out there doing these numbers. And... It was just, it was a joy watching it. I couldn't help but smile as I watched that number.
4: Excellent. It's funny, it just screened in, in France, and the whole theater started to clap in unison during that scene. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, but our, our choreographer, Mark Kilmerman, came up with all of that dancing based on the choreography that he did when he was a kid. So he would show me these videos of him as like a ten year old at these dance competitions, so a lot of the the moves that Irene teaches the old people mm-hmm. are moves that he did when he was a kid, so it's not perfect uh but that's what we wanted and That scene when we shot outside of the plaza was a really hot day, so you can imagine you know assembling about you know fifteen seniors to do a choreographed dance to shoot all day was a bit daunting and scary especially when one of them refused to put on any sunblock but we got through <laughs> the day and it worked out great and it does translate on film because it's everyone's having a great time
0: oh i can't i'm so thrilled that, that when it played in france they they all started clapping and applauding during that I know. scene <laughs> that must that really know, must so have great. made you feel good yeah definitely Yeah, you know, and Hand in hand with your choreography is your music. You have some key needle drops happening. You've also got score. And that, and I've talked about this many times here on the show with directors and producers, music budgets can kill you, can kill you. How did you go about, did you encounter any difficulties with the songs that you chose uh, for that dance number? you know, in terms of licensing costs that might have adversely impacted the film were it not for a savvy music supervisor?
4: Yeah, you know what is interesting is the song that we ended up using, the Millie Vanilli song, Mm -hmm. was quoted as way less than what it ended up costing. And it ended up taking up our entire music budget. (gasps) So we had to do some figuring out to, because it was baked in, we had already choreographed to that song So we couldn't, we had to use it. So I think that what we ended up doing was um, purchasing the festival rights. And then once we got our American distributor on board, we had to um, pay it in full. Uh, But it ended up being a little tricky because I wanted to have a lot of um, known music in the film, mm-hmm. and we have some hero thumbs. We've got Millie Vanelli, we've got Kapow, and we've got um, CeCe Peniston, but I think everything else was um, indie, but still had that 80s, 90s flavor, but mm-hmm. we weren't able to afford, um, like, a wall-to-wall familiar music, Right. but it ends up working well, because I, I kind of like the 80s-sounding indie mm-hmm. contemporary music, and it works in the film, because it's a bit... It's a bit independent and indie.
0: And you figure that, okay, you're also dealing, you've got seniors involved. They're probably not going to go with the music, know with the specific songs anyway, but they're going to go with the exactly. flow and the vibe of the music. And these kids, they're just in high school. They were a little after the 80s, so they're not really going to know them either. So I, th- I think you, lo- <laughs> you really <laughs> lucked out there, Pat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, definitely. I'm curious about your own transition. I, uh, you know, people got to first meet you and and came to know you and you can't do that on television Nickelodeon. And you have now made the transition from "quote unquote child actor into writer director. How has that journey been for you? Was it that always your trajectory um or did you just happen to fall into that as time progressed?
4: So, you know what, it's funny. When I was on that show, I really loved being around people on set. It was like summer camp to me, so I think that it really um, affected me in a positive way. But I also knew how awkward and vulnerable I was as an actor. Um, And I did, I think it was about a year after being on that show, I I got a video camera and I started to play around with it. And that, uh, I think that I was, that's what I I knew. I wanted to be behind the camera more than in front of it. Um, And it it certainly was a long transition. I went to film school and then after that, I didn't quite know what I was going to do. And I made some short films and um, I made my first feature in 2014. So I think that right now things are starting to, You know, the ball is rolling. But it certainly wasn't an easy transition, and I definitely didn't fall into it. I think that somebody who falls into a position like writing and directing film is very, very lucky. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was definitely a focus from an early age.
0: And a lot of hard work.
4: Yes, definitely. And a lot of rejection (laughs) and failure as well.
0: Okay, you mean even though you were, you know, a known commodity as an actor, you still had to face that failure and rejection.
4: Oh, for sure. And I actually wasn't very well known. I had a very small um, role on that show on Nickelodeon. So I wasn't coming from a a higher place to then have to struggle. I was kind of an unknown child actor trying to, you know, hustle to be able to make a film.
0: Mm -hmm. And here you are now with your second feature. Have you found, because you did quite a few shorts, you know, before you did Guidance, And now you've got Don't Talk to Irene. I'm curious if you found any kind of difficult transition or challenges in going from working at the shorts level, moving into a feature film level.
4: You know, it's funny. It is harder because in a way you don't have enough money. Like you'll get... A certain amount of money to do a short, but then you'll get more money to do the feature, but you're still like scraping things together, asking for even more favors than you would as a short. So the tricky thing is like you learn how to direct by doing these shorts. And when you transition to making a feature, it's usually like comparatively, it's lower budget because um, you don't have not the same budget as the short, it's bigger budget, but you don't have enough. Um, Playing room,
2: mm-hmm. so you're
4: still struggling and you're doing like maximum two takes. Um, you're asking for favors. People aren't getting paid. Like it's almost harder to make a feature um, because you're used to a certain <coughs> amount of luxury doing a short because you get a bit more money for what you're doing because it's so short. But, you know, with guidance, the budget was about 150000 and the running time was 90 minutes.
2: That's um, not In a short,
4: you might get twenty thousand to do five minutes. So you can imagine it's harder. Yeah. Uh, but it's such a great learning experience because you have to follow through a story for that long, and it's more challenging in the editing room, obviously, because it's more to edit. But it's also you've got to track emotions, you've got to track scenes, you've got to track everything, everything for such a long running time. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely more challenging.
0: So I'm am cu- curious with Don't Talk to Irene, because of limited budgeting, and since Millie Vanilli ate up your budget, your music budget, um, yeah, I'm really curious how many takes were you operating with? Because here you've got cheerleading going on, you know, and you know people never get those right on the first takes, and you've got choreographed yeah. dancing happening. So what did that do for you in terms of really having to be prepared so that you were? You could operate with just one or two takes,
4: yeah, it was really hard for the a lot of the big dance sequences.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: We used two cameras, so that was we were able to bang off um, more takes with mm-hmm. you know less time. Um, but we really planned out like all of the moves, and we knew exactly what we were going to do beforehand. Um, so, the, And I knew that the things that were going to be the most complicated, so I would make sure that we would schedule more time to shoot them. But there were su- certain scenes, like in the high school, for example, we were, like, doing two takes
2: mm-hmm. because
4: we were rushing. It was, like, those days were so packed with different high school locations and different actors that you get to the point in the middle of the day, you're like, if, I'm, if I don't do maximum two takes for everything that comes after lunch, I'm not going to get my day.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> so uh, you were those things that you didn't think were going to be very complicated end up being complicated because you're sacrificing them. They're not as complicated in terms of like how much cast and dancing that you have in them. And those ones I put like as a priority for having a long time to shoot them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just those little scenes that ended up being sacrificed uh, for the bigger, more complicated Mm one.
0: So I'm curious now that you have your sophomore feature under your belt Um, you've got your distribution with Gravitas, you've had the French applauding you, uh, and I love this film. You know, what is your takeaway? What did you learn about yourself in the process of making Don't Talk to Irene that you'll now take forward into your future films?
4: Uh, That's a very good question. I think that I've learned that I've got to continue being a fighter. The thing about making a film that's pretty low budget, you've got to be a fighter throughout the entire process and fight for your vision. And if I've learned anything, is to just to be like, you know, tighten up my fists more before going into the next production because you've got to be a fighter.
0: Well, I'm so glad you fought for this film. It's, it is so well done, Pat. It is so enjoyable. Um, and I know now where can everybody see it besides on VOD right now? Is it available? On-
4: um, I think it's only on on Amazon and iTunes okay. and, and VOD and on demand right now. Um, I think that's the in Canada and the US it's available on those platforms.
0: Well, it's you know it is well worth it. I mean, I spent money. To see this film, and it is the best six bucks or whatever I spent <laughs> to Spectrum that I've spent in a long time. I mean, just well, thank you. That's great. An absolute joy, Pat. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back on the show again. You are you are just absolutely. You are a breath of fresh air to start the springtime with. Let me tell you. <laughs>
2: thank
4: you. Thanks, Th- Debbie.
0: Thanks so much, Pat. Bye bye.
4: All right. Thanks. Bye.
0: And that was Pat Mills, writer, director, Don't Talk to Irene on VOD Digital, Amazon, iTunes right now. It real. It's a very fun film. I mean, all three are our exclusive interviews of Mel De Staunton Finding Your Feet. See it, see it, see it. It is. It's got appeal, a multi-generational appeal for the ARP crowd out there. Ladies, you're going to love it. Gentlemen, you're going to love it. Of course, I can only imagine... Madeline Carroll, um, she is a shining star and I can't wait to hook up with her again. And, and now that she's producing and acting, and of course, Pat Mills, don't talk to Irene, another winner, another indie winner. So, you know, that is all for today. A very fun show, some very special people next week. Ashley Bell joins us live, as do does Tony Vidal and some of the cast members of another indie, Baja. But then mark your calendars for m- Monday, April 16th. Sound guru Steve Lee is back. More sound design, Foley effects, more sound effects, and some surprises having to do with the Hollywood Sound Museum. You don't want to miss the April 16th show. Trust me. So that's it for today. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.